everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 92 of the show. And in this episode, we are going to be getting a new month of comics and a new series as well. We, well, not a new series. Well, not a new title. Not a new title. Okay, I see what you're saying. You're right. Yep. There were A new series and an old title. Exactly. Exactly. Because we have said goodbye to the Torch Thing team-ups and the Giant (laughs) Man Wasp stories. We have two (sighs) new series to embrace. And honestly, Mike... I yeah. thought we would never get here. And boy, is it so much more interesting so far anyway. Yeah. But like, I literally I thought we would never get here because I thought the podcast would be over by now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's a pretty good, good uh, uh, prediction to make because most podcasts don't get here, I think, we, but I don't know. Strange Tales started with 101 and it went to uh-huh. 134 with the Torch stories. So mm-hmm. that's three years of comics that we have covered and yeah. I didn't, I honestly just didn't think we would make it. I know it's, it's weird. Like you see podcasts that have like 600 episodes or something like that, but it's not very often. Not that we have that many yet, but I mean, I just, my success rate with podcasts has never lasted this long. So nope, it's, we been, are it's been pretty good cruising along. Yeah, so as, um, as we jinx ourselves <laughs> repeatedly right. just there. Whether for sales purposes or promotional purposes or whatever, uh, they moved Strange Tales to be a first week book this month. So we have mm. four first week books this month, and we're going to cover three of them today, beginning with Strange Tales 135. So who's up for this one? I get this. It's so exciting. Oh, Strange Tales 135, the greatest action thriller of all time, Nick Fury. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And we don't pause to talk about covers much, but boy, is this a great cover. I really it's enjoy this It's so cover. iconic. It's amazing. So iconic and spy and just really exciting. And I don't know if this is true, but is this the first time that we don't get any blurb at all for the backstory? Because Doctor Strange is not on this. Ever giving Doctor Strange on the cover, they have usually acknowledged him in some form. Mm-hmm. He was not in the art last month, but they did have a little blurb saying we couldn't squeeze him on the cover, but oh. he's still here. Well, in this this one, they just decide other than the info panel on the top left where his head is floaty with Nick Fury. So we got a new one of those, obviously, because it's a new series. Yep. But uh, uh, yeah, he's not even mentioned because it's all about Nick Fury on this cover and it's cool. Um, it's called Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Part 1, The Man for the Job. And S.H.I.E.L.D. as of... This first appearance stands for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. So keep track of that, kids, because I think in like 20 years they changed that 15 times. But the latest and possibly the greatest creation of Stan Lee writer, Jack Kirby artist, inked by Dick Ayers, lettered by Artie Simek, the crowning achievement of Marvel's magnificent renaissance of comics. So with that downplayed caption, we start with a Nick Fury wearing... Underwear, an eye patch, and a cigar. And he's in what looks like kind of a bathtub of, I don't know if it's goo or if it's just supposed to be like foam or something, but it's like upright too. And there's all these guys around him and they're talking about how he shouldn't move and he can't breathe and life model decoy ready for operation. And he's just thinking the whole time, what is this nonsense? Something out of Bella Lugosi or whatever. Um, Anyway, they get the reading they want and they get him out of the bathtub and then these operators take the bathtub thing away and he's just basically thinking like you know i just was told to report here i'm not really sure what's going on um he gets hooked up with a dude in a yellow hat i'm not sure if that guy ever gets a name but they they're in like this laboratory and they stand on a thing and the laboratory rises, like a stand in the laboratory floor rises. The next thing you know, they're in the streets of New York. And he's surrounded by Nick Furies, five other Nick Furies. And he's like, what the heck's going on? They're robots, but they look just like me. What'd you need this for? He's like, you'll see. And as soon as those Nick Fury robots who are programmed to all walk in different directions away from the real Nick Fury, as they start doing that, one by one, they get offed by secret hidden assassins that are stowed throughout the city. So while that's happening, these five robots being shot the real nick fury and the guy in the yellow hat jump into his cool porsche 
and go down the road as fast as possible. As they're going, a big jet comes behind him and Nick's like, watch out, we're going to get killed. But the guy in the yellow hat's like, the man in the yellow hat, this is totally whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, the man in the yellow uh, hat never gets a name, but only George does. <laughs> the man in the yellow hat's like, don't worry about it, we're fireproof. And he goes right through the fire. And then it's like, and, all, and the guys, and Nick Fury's like, it's coming back. He's like, don't worry about it, this car's awesome. And he presses a button and these two missiles come out of the back all of James Bond and blow the, blow the airplane up. And then if that isn't mesmerizing enough for Nick, who's just like, I can't believe all this is happening. I just work for the CIA. We don't do any of this. Uh, the car... The tires rotate horizontally, and next thing you know, it's a flying car, um, and it flies away. And it leaves behind a bunch of onlookers on the highway who are just, like, you know, befuddled and amazed. But one of them on a moped isn't. He actually was chasing after them. He works for Hydra, and he reports in his electronic helmet view screen that, uh, you know, Nick Fury got away. Um, Short time later, I think it's the same guy. He reports to Hydra. In his full Hydra outfit, which is, you know, the faceless green mask and the yellow H on a green, uh, you know, villain green tunic and stuff. Um, and he's like, I'm sorry I failed. And the, and the leader who has a puma or a panther or something is like, yeah, well, you know, the price of failure. You either die in this combat we're going to put you in or you'll live to, you know, prove your worth another day. And they put him in this weird, like uh, – I don't really know how to explain it, but it's like this: these two H's over a pit and like they're tied to them or something and they swing around and he has to fight – the poor guy has to fight the other dude. The other dude is afforded a weapon and he's not. And he's like, that's not fair. And he's like, so you should really prove your worth by overcoming horrible obstacles. But he doesn't and he dies. So there's like this big thing about him dying. And then – they sign in the person who killed him because if she if if that person kills him, they get to be the new Hydra. It's all very complicated. The new Hydra, the first female Hydra member, and they do the whole ceremony where everybody stands behind her and like makes her look like she has twenty eight arms. And they say, you know, sever one of us and another arm, sever one arm and another arm will grow. Hail Hydra! Blah blah blah. Anyway, we cut back to Nick with the yellow hat guy, and he's not wearing his hat anymore. Somehow he's in a dark room. They don't really explain how he got there in a way that he doesn't understand. You know, we'll find out later. He doesn't even know where he is, and they don't really explain that part. But that's okay. We'll overlook it. He's in a dark room, and he gets scanned, and the door opens, and Tony Stark is there. He's like, "Hey, yeah, I'm in charge of special weapons and stuff." And he's like, "Where is this place?" And they're like, "Welcome to Shield." And it's like this big, you know, round table full of official-looking, cool people. And Nick sits down and they talk about Hydra and how Hydra's, you know, they have this globe and showing how Hydra's spreading their evil over the world. And somebody has to stop him. Um, and as Nick is telling every, and they're like, and we want you to lead it, Nick. You're the man for the job. You should lead S.H.I.E.L.D. And as he's explaining why he definitely shouldn't lead S.H.I.E.L.D. because he's just basically a brawler that they made a colonel and he doesn't know how to do anything like that. And he just wants to fist fight and stuff. But as he's explaining that, he notices there's a tripwire on his chair. So with the quick Nick Fury reflexes, he pulls the chair out from its stand and he pushes it out the window um, and it blows up. And he finds out that he's on this flying helicarrier. So that's how he finds that out. Um, and then he immediately starts telling everybody who, you know, who like who was in charge of security around here. You guys go figure out where that wire came from and, you know, get me this and get me that. And within like three seconds, they've figured out who the traitor is and they've arrested him and are waiting for him to be interrogated. So somehow, even though he was trying to convince himself not to be in charge, he's already in charge because he took action. Um, and that's kind of how it ends. Yeah, he's like, I guess this really is a big deal then, huh? Okay. Yeah, he's like, okay, they're actually are out there and they're trying to kill him and... Um, and then it kind of ends with, you know, but Hydra is immortal. Cut off one limb and two more shall take its place. So it's just basically setting him up as the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's a pretty dramatic first chapter. Yeah, it was fun. I liked it. Um, I mean, way better than Torch and Thing. Sorry, Torch and Thing, but this was more interesting. It's it's weird to me that of all the characters, they decide that Nick Fury, Sergeant Fury from his Howling Commandos, should get another comic. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know, that just seems odd to me, but maybe, I don't know, I'm guessing Sergeant Fury as a comic book was just really, really popular, and also giving Nick Fury a present-day storyline. He has yeah. present-day adventures before Cap does. Uh, well, Cap has had some, but not... Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it's just a brilliant move, and we all know Nick Fury as agent, of, you know, the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff, and 
it's great. But yeah, you're right. Like from this point of view in this time period, what was the thinking there to to do that exactly? Because like obviously they're trying to be Bond here in a lot of ways. Definitely playing into James Bond. So if they're playing with James Bond, like to me, my gut would have been to find some suave, sophisticated guy or create a suave, sophisticated guy. And they're like, he is a brawler. He is like a, you know, Yancey Streeter or whatever he thinks he is, you know, the guy from the streets and stuff like that. But that dichotomy has always been cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe he's like the anti-James Bond. So maybe that's what they're going for. The anti-James Bond. Yeah, that could be. And this is the first appearance of his eye patch. I was going to say, he didn't have an eye patch in Fantastic Four, which is his only other modern-day appearance. Right. So um, they haven't explained the whole cat situation yet. They have not. Mm-hmm. Now, in our chronology lists, this is earliest of the stories this week because mm-hmm. Nick Fury may have joined S.H.I.E.L.D. before Captain America wrote that letter to him back in the Avengers mm-hmm. 15. That yeah. might be how Cap knew what he was up to these days. Although he says here he's just a colonel for G2, which is Army Intelligence. Mm-hmm. So he was working for intelligence. And we saw in the, in the Fantastic Four he's working for the CIA. So that Cap letter could go either way. But this has been put early in the chronology for whatever reason. Well, it seems like nobody knows, nobody else so far knows what S.H.I.E.L.D. is. Because if, if, if Nick who works at intelligence has never heard of shield then right. theoretically cap wouldn't know what shield is either. Right. I guess um, we'll find out when cap first says what's shield. What is a shield? If that ever, if that ever happens. So silly story. Uh-huh. My son used to wear an eye patch. Okay. Uh, he has one bad eye and to re-strengthen the eye, he would spend a mm. few hours with a patch over his good eye and mm-hmm. glass lenses like to for corrective vision. And, you know, it worked. The eye muscles in his bad eye did strengthen. Um, it's still nowhere near as good as a good eye, but whatever. So to help him sort of, like, feel okay about the eye patch, I was like, mm-hmm. hey, because we read comics every night during that time, I was like, let's read this series. Because, look, it's a hero with an eye patch. Right. He thought that was a pretty cool idea and then did not want to read any more stories after this first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not great for kids, maybe. There's no flashy superhero antics or anything. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I was stoked because, you know, first appearance of S.H.I.E.L.D., first appearance of the Life Model decoys, first appearance of the Patch, first appearance of the cool flying car. Lola! Uh, yeah, it's just like all, it's just like out of the gate, like just very S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, right mm-hmm. away. It's just neat. First appearance of Hydra. It's a I lot think. of it's a lot of shield stuff all up front, and the, and the LMDs like you know those are such a staple of shield. Mm-hmm. That I didn't realize it went all the way back to this first issue until I read it. And honestly, one of my favorite things about the Agents of Shield TV show was the run they did with the LMDs. That was that was pretty great. But just Shield in general, even you know, I can't say I've read a lot of Shield oriented stories, but they Same here. are always they're always there in the Marvel they're, that's what makes them part of like the Marvel Universe. That's they make up part of the Marvel Universe because that's like the spy organization, you know? Mm-hmm. So they'll just show up here, show up there. So it's neat to finally get to this point where we have this new what's essentially like a superhero government team kind of. And eventually, you know, right now he doesn't really want this job, but eventually the weight and responsibility will change Nick Fury. I mean, it's this is definitely mm-hmm. a character who undergoes some transformations because of the kinds of life he has to leave. Lead first appearance of the helicarrier too. Great appearance, yeah, fantastic first appearance of the helicarrier. I mean, I I tried to poke a little fun because I don't know how Nick got on it without knowing he was on it. But outside of that, the reveal, I was actually surprised because I didn't know we were going to go there right away. And he pushes that bomb out the window, and then there's this big splash page of the bomb falling out of the helicarrier. That's where mm-hmm. we've been the whole time, and it blows up, and it was just really neat. And the the, the planes are flying around. He's got, like, a little patrol escort. I mean, the helicarrier mm-hmm. is one of the greatest visual inventions of S.H.I.E.L.D., as is attested by the sequence in the film, the, the original Avengers film, when the helicarrier takes off, mm-hmm. which was a fantastic sequence. Mm-hmm. And Avengers um, 2, when it shows up to save everybody, that's very right. uplifting and fun. I feel like Tony is betrayed us a little bit. Betrayed Cause us? Because like, he has not mentioned once that he works for S.H.I.E.L.D. in the book that we read. Why doesn't he tell us these things? <laughs> well, he has all these government contracts. We always hear about uh, those. I guess this yeah, is just one true. of them. 
Yeah. He seems a little more involved in this I, one. I, I agree. He's just quietly overhearing S.H.I.E.L.D. and it never gets mentioned in his own comic. I don't yeah. think any time during this era that I've read of Iron Man, he ever mentions that he's in S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. And it even says that he supports S.H.I.E.L.D. financially, doesn't it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, Nick so. Fury, because he, walk, he walks in out now. I think he may be a little bit off because lots of government installations have really big funding sources. But he's like, mm-hmm. for the love of Pete, some of the most famous Joes. No, what did he say? Oh, I should have guessed why Stark is here. All those weapons Shield has, money bags is the only guy with enough savvy to make that kind of stuff. It figures to be oh, their ordinance yeah. expert, but that's not funding. That's just weapons. Yeah, you're right. That's just making. If anything, Shield's probably funding him to make it. Could be. Yeah, you would think. His you would hope. Yeah. Um, a woman Hydra agent? Can you believe it? That, that was also very cool. Yeah, I liked it. Apparently, that, this is like the precursor to Viper, kind of. Yeah, those SJW comics, you know, they they had the most awesome Hydra new member and turns off the takes off the mask, and of course, it's a woman. Mm-hmm. What are those newfangled comics doing these days? Right? They're probably going to get letters. They're probably going to get letters. Agent H. <laughs> H for Hydra. You know... <laughs> It was literally 10 seconds before you said yellow H that uh-huh. I realized that the yellow stripes on their costumes make H's. <laughs> it's not the greatest costume, but it is kind of iconic at this point because they all look like that. But Yeah, it's a little bit of a dopey costume. But, I mean, I'd always process the yellow stripes, but I just figured there were yellow stripes on green. I did not think about them as H's until I was like, oh, look, those are H's. And Mike says, and they got the yellow H's on them. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I wonder if Mike knows. Try I guess to, he does. Tried a little harder for a more iconic logo, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they ever fixed that, but it looks like suspenders, kind of. And this is immediately established as an international organization. There are people from all over the world representing the different nations in that council room. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there may be some room for debate on what leader actually means at this stage of the game, with Nick Fury as the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D., like mm-hmm. field leader or director of an international organization. Seems like two different things. You've been chosen to lead our worldwide organization. I don't know. That's about all it says, huh? Who was leading them before? Or did S.H.I.E.L.D. literally start five seconds ago? Good question. I don't know. It could have just started five seconds ago. Maybe they're answering Hydra by creating their own Hydra, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are lots of retcons to the history of S.H.I.E.L.D. later. But just what we have here, this does feel like we put together this Hydra thing. We need somebody to lead it. You know, remember who was in charge of the Howlers back in the war? He's just mm-hmm. over there in Army Intelligence. We should get Fury. Yeah, who's good at who's good at leading impossible missions and never dying? Fury. Yeah, he's really Fury. good at it. He lost but his is eye he, though. Is he going to be that hands on? I mean, as a leader of an international organization, wouldn't he just always be at his desk? You would think so, right? Like, yeah, but I he guess only not. goes on all those missions because Happy Sam is sitting back at his desk, setting him on all those missions. Right. And now he's the leader of a worldwide organization. So, so anyway. first chapter of S.H.I.E.L.D., we enjoyed that? I enjoyed it quite a bit, yeah. Breath of fresh air on this title. Definitely, definitely. Torch was getting very stagnant for me. So I'm looking forward to next issue. Fun, fun, fun. But speaking of, we should go on if you're done. Yeah. Yep, I'm good. Okay, Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, Eternity Beckons. Part 28 of his... Fight against Mordo. <laughs> I just made that up. I don't know what the number is, but written and edited by Marvel's mystical madman Stan Lee, plotted and illustrated by fandom's favorite fiend. Fiend? Yeah. Steve Ditko, lettered and bordered by Comicdom's cuddlesome conjurer Sam Rosen. Bordered? That's a new one. Like he did the panel thinking yeah. or something. Interesting. All right. So let's see if I can remember this. Uh, Doctor Strange is still on the run. He gets off of the plane that he was on last issue. He sees a Mordo guy, and he uses magic to hypnotize him into forgetting why he's there. He makes his way to a castle in England, an English moor. And there is a guy named Baskerville, because that's on the nose. Um, And it's a dude in a castle. And this dude apparently used to be a disciple of Baron Mordo, until he met with a mysterious accident. They don't really get into that. So Strange is thinking, maybe this guy knows something about eternity, because he's still trying to figure out what the Ancient One means when he says, Eternity! Every time he's, you know, near death. So Baskerville welcomes him in, tells him, Yeah, yeah, I got some books in the back called So You Want to Know About Eternity. I'll go check those out real fast. 
you stay here by the fire. Warm yourself up. Um, meanwhile, we cut to Dormammu's lair. He has he has cap reinstalled the wall that keeps the mindless ones from invading his dimension. And now he's hell bent on figuring out who weakened the spell in the first place. He uses some cool like back in time TV magic to watch, and he sees that nameless pink and purple cladded woman uh, with the white hair doing the weakening of the spell. So he's like, ooh, I'm going to get her. But I'm not going to do it right now. I'm going to think for a while on this and really come up with something bad. This is going to be so fun. So then we cut back to Baskerville. And guess what? He's still a disciple of Mordo because he telepathically reaches out to him or magically with his mind reaches out and outs the fact that Doctor Strange is at his place. And so Mordo... Has that purple-orange guy still around and teleports him to Baskerville's castle, but also, just like last time, basically just uses him as a vessel, so he's talking through him. And he tells the guy, um, I don't know what he tells him, like, go back there and keep uh, Doctor Strange distracted while I sneak up behind him. But when they try that, hey, it turns out Doctor Strange was just an illusion. What? He knew the whole time I was a traitor? Well, where did he go? And then they see this uh, suit of arms that's like one of his gallery decorations start moving. So he's like, he must be in there. So Mordo tries to like, you know, zap him. And he's like, it's not working. The armor keeps running away. And he's like, impossible. Nothing flesh and blood can withstand the force of my awesome power. Um, and the, the, the suit of armor knocks a door over and runs through it. Uh, Mordo's... Um, you know, vessel goes after it, and as it rounds, as it comes through the door, there's a hiya walk from Doctor Strange, who hits him right in the gut, knocks him out, hurts him so hard that it knocks him out, and and Mordo loses his connection. Uh, apparently, Doctor Strange was uh, had stuffed his cape into the armor, and that he was using the cape to make the armor move. So there was nothing flesh and blood for Mordo to crush. Um, Mordo's like, oh, I lost the connection. So he sends his, like, ghost ninjas to go over there to, to find out what's going on because he can no longer see. Uh, Doctor Strange uses the Eye of Agamotto on the vessel, who's unconscious, and figures out that Dormammu is the one who has been powering Mordo, which is something he had not known up to this point. Um, then he confronts Baskerville, and I can't remember, like, basically, Baskerville's like, he freezes Baskerville. He freezes him, but I can't. Baskerville has like an explanation as to why he's a traitor, but I can't remember what it was. And it doesn't matter because he leaves. Um, he goes to the top of the castle. And this time, instead of running away from the white, the, the ghost ninjas, he confronts them. And with all the power of eternal Vishanti, he like possesses their mind and makes them think that Doctor Strange has fled to the netherworld. So go after him there. And they all turn around and leave. So he finally defeated that problem that he's always been running from. Uh, meanwhile, why did he do that earlier? I don't know. I can't remember if it's because he didn't have his full power then, or if he just realized it right now. Um, I don't know. Mordo's like whining and complaining, but he also absorbs what's left of Dormammu's power and preps himself for a big fight. Um, he goes to Baskerville only to find that Doctor Strange has already left, and so he goes curses. I'll get that rascally rabbit, and it's the end again. So more chasing. Yeah. Um, Baskerville turns out to actually be working for Mordo, almost as if Mordo has made a hound of Baskerville. Oh. Oh. Okay, here was the reason. I hated the Ancient One because he could not... This is funny. This goes right into the movie. I hated the Ancient One because he could not cure my injured hand. I wanted to strike back at him to hurt him by harming you. Mordo promised he would restore my hand, so I did his bidding. And then Doctor Strange says, It is as I guess. Now heed my words. Mordo deceived you. He cannot cure your hand. It is beyond the power of sorcery. So the whole plot of my original movie is right not here. on point. Is not on point because they promised I could cure my hands and I can't. I guess it's different in the MCU. That's okay. Well, he never gets his surgery ability back. Like his hands can function; they just don't really mm -hmm. have surgeon level. Yeah, skill. In the in the end, he was wearing gloves and still had problems with them. Yeah, but anyway, um, Doctor Strange is portrayed beautifully by Steve Ditko in this comic. Um, that image of him on that splash page is gorgeous. 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that this was done with an eye to new readers because of the strange, uh, because of the Nick Fury series? Well, they do give us a story thus far bit. I don't think they've done that before. Yeah. And I feel like it's, other than the fact that he's on the run, it's, there's not a whole lot you need to know going into this. They even, this is where he finds out that Dormammu is behind it all. Although I feel like he found that out before. No, I don't think he ever has. I think he's okay. I think he's like asked himself multiple times how it is that Mordo is so powerful. Now there must be someone supporting him, but he didn't. I don't know if he named Dormammu or not. And there is this whole Dormammu business with the shield being lowered and the uh, mindless ones and stuff. So in that sense, that's not a very good starting point for anybody. But yeah, um, nameless woman was wondering last issue if she was going to get found out, and oops, she did. I love that it's like, but I, I must plan my vengeance carefully. Their fate must be awesome and completely unexpected. So I would take six more issues before I confront her. <laughs> it's like, boy, you're evil. So this mustache guy who's in Strange's house is Kaecilius. He is totally a background face or minor okay. character throughout the saga. We did see him in issues 130 and 131 as just one of Morda's guys. But you're talking about the purple guy, least, yeah, the orange purple guy. Okay, this is the big bad of the Doctor Strange film, the guy with the eyes. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. So he has some appearances in this Ditko run, mm-hmm. and that's it. Like he's not a huge character. They were kind of reaching back into the nobodies <laughs> to get that character. Well, they never named him, have they? For us, I mean, as far as not I know. in the comic, they have not called him Caecilius yet. I just don't, it's it's the same face. And it's he has how Liz Allen his, was in the first issue of Spider Man before they called her Liz Allen. He has zero personality because he's just a vessel every time mm-hmm, so far. Mm-hmm. So like he could be anybody. Who cares? I guess that's interesting though. Does it feel like no one remembers that eternity is also a very normal word? Yeah, I just don't know how much stock you should put into that. But then again, the ancient one, you know, maybe everything he says is really important. But it's like the dude's unconscious. He keeps waking up and he says eternity. Does that, I don't know, that could mean anything. Mm-hmm. So. And it's like, yeah, I, I totally have books on eternity that the ancient one didn't have. You just yeah. stay right here, Strange. I'll go, I'll go look in my well, library. That may be why Strange catches on and does the whole illusion, you know, hiding around a corner thing. Because they don't mm-hmm. really say how he catches on. So maybe it's just because it seemed fishy. But I'm I'm good with this if you are. Yep. It's just it's still going. I kinda want it to resolve at some point. But <laughs> it still has a ways to go. <laughs> God. Okay. The X-Men. X-Men. Twelve. The origin of Professor X. But not that one. Not how he lost his legs. They think it's gonna be that, but it's not. Uh, X-Men, the most unusual teenagers of all time, stupefying story by Stan Lee, spectacular layouts by Jack Kirby, slam bang penciling by Alex Tolt, sensational inking by Vince Coletta, the usual lettering by Sam Rosen, kibitzing by the whole blamed bullpen, Cerebro, that super secret mutant detecting device in Xavier's desk, Mm -hmm. is screaming out a shriek. And all the X-Men are like, what the heck is that noise? And Cyclops is like, oh my gosh, y'all can't know. Get out of here. You can't know about this. And Xavier's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're past that now. They can know. It's Cerebro. Cerebro, my device which detects any mutant menace, as soon as the plot is ready for it to, has detected something so powerful, it's not even a mutant. It's my brother. <gasps> Your brother? Yes. Now go outside and lay booby traps for him and then come back in here. We're going to have a story. It's going to be so great. So they go outside. They make booby traps for the, the, the danger. And it comes back inside. Okay. I'm going to tell you about my brother. Long ago, I had a brother and he was mean and he turned into a bad guy. And that's the story. And like, but professor, you have to make it longer because we had to fill the entire issue. Professor's like, oh, Okay. Um, more details then. And basically he just tells a story about how he, uh, his, his what, mom remarried after his dad died. The professor, the, the stepfather was not a great guy. His son from a previous marriage and therefore Xavier's stepbrother is even a worse guy. Um, they never get along. 
They drive off a cliff together, which really looks like that's how he broke his legs. But Stan Lee tells us in the script, oh, no, no. Remember Lucifer? That was Lucifer. Lucifer's the one who took his legs. Not this car, not this car accident. No, no, no. No, that was that wasn't it. And uh, the X Men are like, okay, okay, we understand. But um, the bad guy's right here. He's like right outside our house trying to get in. Xavier's like, don't let him in yet. You wanted a longer story. I'm telling you more story. <laughs> so uh, he talks about how he and his brother were in the Korean War together, and they found this cave. And inside the cave was this Doctor Strange thing called the Crimson Bands of Sidorak. And they latched on to his brother, Kane Marco, and the X-Men are like, Professor, the bad guy is inside our house. He's like in our fridge right now making pizza. And Professor Xavier is like, no, 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 don't let him in yet. I'm still telling a story. And he tells a story about how his brother got all this superpower. He's not a mutant. He just got lots of powers from this from this mystical menace who became he be tur- got turned into a juggernaut, which is actually a word. It's not just the name of this guy. Um, and we go back to the X-Men. They're like, professor, the bad guy's here. He's like, he's literally sitting in Iceman's lap right now. We need to fight him. Are you done with your story yet? And Xavier's like, hold on. Okay. Now I'm done with my story. And, um, the bad guy, the juggernaut busts into the uh, mansion and they all get knocked out by a swat of his hand. And juggernaut's like, okay, brother, it's time to die. And then Xavier's like, oh, sh- beep. And it's the end of the story. Whoa. I don't know about this one. I have mixed feelings. Mixed feelings is right. There's like some pretty cool stuff in here, but it's a really weird issue. First of all, have you ever heard of Alex Toth? I think it's a pseudonym. No, it's a person. Oh, yeah? He was. He did a lot of, uh, you know, late 40s, 50s, and up through, you know, like the 80s, but... He also is like an artist artist and really well known for his character designs and his story layouts. And most famously probably for his cartoon work because he's the guy responsible for like designing Space Ghost and all those like Hanna-Barbera things and model sheets and things like that. He's like – he's got this really simple but effective style. Like he was all about communicating – your message as simple and perfect as possible, right? Uh-huh. So it's really kind of weird that he's finishing Jack Kirby pencils here. I don't know. Like, his style is not really coming through, but at the same time, neither is Jack's. So the art is bonkers, kind of. Yeah. Kind of weird. I don't really get it. And, uh, yeah, that was the first thing that struck me. Like, oh, Alex tossed through this, but no, kind of not. And Jack Kirby kind of not either. And it just looks odd. I don't know what's going on there. Well, Jack Kirby is no longer going to have full-time art responsibilities in this book. Mm. That is a thing of the past at this point. Issue 11 was his last full-on issue. Um, So Alex Toth is here. Um, He does not work for Marvel for very long. No, Uh, I don't think so either. He has two two Marvel credits from this era, a handful of others. um, Rawhide Kid and X-Men 12. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, a handful of others from the '50s, but it's mostly DC work over the decades. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that was weird. I also I thought about. I mean, I don't know how how we want to do this, but like the thing, I'll tell you the thing I liked. The thing I liked was the impending doom of Juggernaut. Mm-hmm. That was kind of cool. But the idea of it. The idea of it, like they set up this. You know, the moats and the bombs and the grenades and the cable of electricity and and nothing none of that is not only is none of that stopping him, but it's all off panel. I liked that. I liked like you don't know what it is that's coming. Mm-hmm. Even so far as the cover, all we see is his back. So the whole time. It's like, ooh. But at the same time, like you said, you're right. It's just weird for him to be telling this story as that's happening. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. Maybe we can come up with this later. How about you skip to the part where he's invulnerable and impossible to stop and we work on that? Uh, it's 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 literally like he set up the plot devices at the <laughs> beginning of the story to allow yeah. him to tell the story. Yeah. He knew and then, none of them were going to stop him. And like Cerebro only detects mutants and he's not a mutant. So it's like, what's that about? And like it really, really strongly detects him. It it can only be the juggernaut. Like we've seen some pretty powerful dudes. Remember that stranger last issue? Yeah. Like the Hulk can't do this. What if it's the Hulk, you know, or the thing or Thor or anybody? I don't know. 
Anybody can get past trees with grenades in them. Even Cap could get past that, probably. But, uh, okay, so that part's bonkers, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I'll just skip to the very end and say also, as much as I like that we don't see who he is as he's steadily approaching, I thought the big reveal at the end was a huge disappointment because it's like this tiny little panel and a dude in shorts. And, and it's, it's weird. It, yeah, it's kind of a weird drawing of him. It's not a dramatic yeah. reveal. No, it should be at least half a page or something of him standing there smoking and looking evil and them all shocked or whatever, or laying right, on the with floor a better unconscious pose or better angle or something. Yeah. So it's like they set all this up and then they don't even pay it off with a cool shot. So that was weird. And then I guess basically we have to talk about professor X's origin. I don't know what I think about that. I guess it's okay. Whatever. Yeah. The fact that he has a brother out of no, the, the fact that juggernaut is Xavier's brother is one of the weirdest nonsense connections ever. It's mm-hmm. almost as useless as Lucifer. <laughs> well, it's funny you bring that up because I did notice that they said, no, no, that was Lucifer. But what I didn't think about until your summary was like, well, then why was there a car crash at all? What did that right. do for us? Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I the reason I put it that way in the summary is because I feel like the artist was like, here's where he loses his legs. And Stanley's like, no, 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 no. That's another thing. We've already talked about that. We're going to come back to it. It's another thing. It's too bad they didn't just decide to skip the Lucifer thing because Lucifer is much dumber. I would have rather been a car wreck with Juggernaut. That mm-hmm. would have made more sense. Well, especially since his answer is, no, my brain power to its full extension. I created a mental shield around me. What? What? No, no. No, no. You can't do that. <laughs> Stop doing um, weird mental things that you can't do. The X-Men are non-entities in this issue, and it's kind of mm-hmm. disappointing. Yeah. Even whenever they're putting everything together at the beginning, it's just... It's really quick, and they're like, what kind of grenades are these? And I'm thinking, um, the usual kind? <laughs> what options are there with that question, I was wondering. Right. But then I don't really know weapons, so maybe there are options. And Jean Grey yells at Beast to slow down, I can't keep up. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have to keep up with him. She just has to go in behind him and put everything <laughs> in. So why does she want to slow down? You can I have the know. exact same art and have her telling him to hurry up because he's not laying wire fast enough. Yeah. And that A, gives her more agency, and B, gives her a reason to complain. Because if right. you're following somebody's work, you it don't need matter. to catch up to them. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess Xavier couldn't read this guy's mind, and he was just a kid who assumed that the guy was evil. At first, I wasn't sure, because they don't really explicitly say he can or can't, but he's just like, I never trusted DeMarco and I don't trust him now. He lies. He might've saved dad, but he saved himself instead. And it's like, does he know that for a fact? Are we at that point? Or is he just a butthurt son? I feel like the implication is that he can read the guy's mind and that we all know that he can read minds, but he as a son is not talking about the fact that he can read minds. Hmm. Yeah. I wish they would have been a little more explicit one way or the other. Yeah. Cause then later the guy's like, don't let Marco be mad about your powers. And he's like, I have power. Oh, uh, I thought that was like, he knew about my power. Oh, it could be, but um, they don't really go into it. So I'm they not don't. really sure. It was kind of dubious or, you know, needlessly, like, needlessly, une- or, uh, 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 you know, I don't know. Confusing. Why is the dad on his deathbed all worried about Xavier being taken advantage of by his son? Whenever, like for the last 10 years, he's done Jack all about it. Right. And then does that mean that Xavier was wrong and that he wasn't such a bad guy after all? But then there's evidence to the contrary because he seems really mean to Xavier's wife and only cares about his science and their money. But then mm-hmm. he saves the then he saves the two boys from the fire and then he says your daughter's your father's death was an accident, but I could have maybe tried harder. Uh choke die. So it's like, is this guy good or is this guy not good? I don't know. Right. The, the best thing about this issue was the idea behind the Juggernaut's impending approach, uh-huh. but even that was not executed great. Uh-huh. Um, I, I like getting more insight into Xavier's background. It's just his completely useless insight. It's never going to matter. It's never going to mean anything. Do you think it would be better or not better to do with the Juggernaut what they kind of just do now in the movies and just make him a, a mutant? Because, you know, duh. Or, or do you like this whole, like... They went to the land of the uh, Crimson Citarock Temple. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like he doesn't need mutant powers. The fact that they're mystical is fine. Um, okay. It does help explain the helmet. Like, they don't talk about the helmet of this blocking his mind mm. from Xavier. Um, but to me, the helmet is most, like, it's like head and neck support <laughs> or head and neck protection when he goes and does his, like, you know, 
uh, ramrod He-Man kind of thing. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's supposed to be magically like not removable or something too, if I remember correctly. I think they remove it a lot. Oh, okay. But like once it when it's on there, it's blocking his, uh, Xavier's mental powers, mm. which gets conflated with Magneto's helmet later on. Mm. So growing up, the only Juggernaut I ever knew about was this guy, mm-hmm. and it occurred to me as an adult that the Juggernaut might actually be named after something. Uh huh. So have like you ever looked up what a Juggernaut is? No, I haven't. Okay. So there's this idea in uh, Hindu culture, um, a huge wagon bearing an image of the god Krishna. Mm-hmm. And there's a legend about such a wagon that as it was drawn annually in a procession down the street, devotees allowed themselves to be crushed under its wheels and sacrifice. So like nothing can stop it. Even people throwing themselves in its path will not stop the juggernaut. Um, and it's an altered form of a title of Krishna um, that means Lord of the world. But you have this sort of derived meaning from a derived use of a derived thing that tend, you know, this idea that's in that cannot be stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's often the, the, the before, like when it actually was used as a word in the 1850s in English, it was the idea of a something, a custom or a fashion that demanded either blind devotion or merciless sacrifice. And it's just, it's one of those words that we never use anymore. But um, yeah, the, the most but basic meaning nowadays is not just a clever name. Yeah. Well, then yeah, maybe I guess, I, I, guess I, I guess I knew it wasn't exclusively his name, but no, I never really thought about where it came from, I guess. And maybe the fact that it's from Hindu origin ties into why they made it a mystical thing. I don't know. Hmm. So, but isn't the, um, isn't the verbiage they use for the mystical thing like related to Doctor Strange somehow, or is that just they all just starting to sound yeah, the same? Yeah, and this to me? the Crimson Bands of Sidorak, which is what's been called on by Doctor Strange a whole lot. Yeah, and I so think we this actually is, is this where that power is coming from? Then this temple every time he calls it. Yeah, and hmm. um, Xavier or somebody describes Sidorak as like one of the evil deities or one of the most evil. Yeah, um, uh, where'd it go? I don't know where the description that Xavier gives of Sidorak. But it's basically like, you know, an evil deity. I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's an issue that has so much going for it and so much potential. And there's so many execution choices that are just weird. Even even at the end, whenever the juggernaut finally shows up and the X-Men go to stop him, mm-hmm. and the boys are like three stoogesing down the hallway. Uh-huh. And then after oh, they finally yeah. click the, the the switch, they're like, uh. now that we've clicked the switch, we can keep on fighting. Yeah, that seemed like an odd comic beat for that moment. You know, mm-hmm. you're impending doom, so let's just do something funny and knock right. into each other. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is just weird. I don't know how to fix it, but this wasn't the way to do it, for sure. No. They it's sad just, because I want to like this issue more because it is the first issue of the freaking Juggernaut. Yeah, but maybe once this baggage is out of the way, the next issue's fight will be more interesting or something. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> He's like, no, I've read it already. It sucks. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember it well enough, but yeah, I've read it. Uh, On so to- let's kill a mockingbird. I mean, a thunder god. Okay. Journey into mystery with the mighty Thor, number 118, to kill a thunder god, introducing the indestructible destroyer. Um, it is a story steeped in splendor by Stan Lee. Artwork bathed in beauty by Jack Kirby, inked, dipped in drama by Vince Coletta, and lettered, couched in cliches by Artie Samek. So, remember last-ish? I'll just do what you did and read the caption here. Remember last-ish? We saw Mighty Thor regain Loki's enchanted stones on a Vietnamese battlefield. Now, all that remains is to carry the girl Kim to safety and then return to Asgard. But fate and the Destroyer have other plans. So it starts out with Thor flying Kim around and he comes across a helicopter of the good guys because they're white. So he leaves her with them, thinking that she's probably safe now. And they arrest her and put her in prison. Uh, so then he's flying around, and he checks his bag to make sure he still has the uh, Loki's thingies, whatever they're called. The uh, stones. The stones, yeah. While he's doing that, Loki is watching because Loki is always watching. And he's like, I need to stop Thor from getting back to Asgard and proving me... A cheater. That's not good. So he reaches out with his cool power for anybody out there that's a jerk. And he finds a man, not in a yellow hat, but a man in a yellow outfit, 
who's like leader of this hunting party. And he kind of said, you know, he kind of starts using his mental influence over the guy. And the guy sees Thor and he's like, Thor, the greatest prize of all to any hunter. Um, Okay. So he uh, shoots Thor, but he doesn't shoot him with a bullet. He hits him with uh, an aesthetic shell, which actually works. And Thor falls over sleepy. He then straps Thor up in like a bamboo rigged thing. And he's hanging out at his, like, you know, little tent camp area with all his, like, I don't know if they're slaves or just people he pay or whatever, but they seem like native people there. Um, And Loki continues to manipulate and manipulate and basically gets the guy up in a frenzy about how he needs to explore this area more. He needs to find more secrets. And so he hunts around. And as he makes it to this big rock, this rock that's calling to him for some reason, suddenly the rock explodes because Loki exploded it and underneath the rock is this huge giant temple from some bygone era he says and it's got like these big giant warriors sculpted into the side of the rock a la you know lord of the rings or something and so he goes into the hall it's like this elaborate beautiful hall and he comes across this big giant robot looking thing and when he gets close to it some zappy magical stuff happens anyway we cut back to thor who wakes up easily breaks his bonds. The guys who were working for the safari guy are like, please don't kill us. He went that way. And Thor's like, I won't kill innocent people. Thank you for pointing me in the right direction. And he flies over to the temple and he's like, oh my gosh, this is the temple of darkness. This is the home of the destroyer. This is where he's talking to himself. So we learn all this stuff. See, this is where my father put this thing called the destroyer who is a last-ditch effort to save Earth should something come along that, you know, no one else can beat. The Destroyer is supposed to, you know, merge with a human and 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 attack the first thing it sees. So let me go down there and see what's going on. This, place, this temple shouldn't be all opened up like this. So he goes down, and he finds the dude, and the dude's just standing there, mindless. And as he's, like, investigating the guy, suddenly the Destroyer comes out of nowhere and punches him. And the guy reveals... That he is now the destroyer. His mental, po- his mental uh, 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 brain thing, you know, whatever, got transferred into the destroyer body, and he is now compelled to kill the first thing he sees, which is Thor. So Thor is now his enemy. So he and Thor start fighting. It doesn't go well for Thor because the destroyer is very powerful. Like Thor throws his hammer at him, it hits him right in the face, and does nothing. And on top of that, apparently the destroyer can lift Thor's hammer because he does so. And starts using it against Thor. Meanwhile, Loki's watching all this and he's like, whoa, that destroyer is way more powerful than I thought he was. I didn't realize that. You know, if Thor can't beat him, uh, this thing's just going to keep on destroying and destroying until everything's destroying, destroyed. And Thor's going to be dead. And Odin's going to try and figure out who made all this happen. This might be bad for me. So maybe I'll go indirectly tattle on myself ahead of time and and have Odin stop this. So he goes to Odin's throne only to be stopped by a bunch of guards with spears and swords. Turns out Odin is sleeping today. Um, he has to sleep a full day each year in order to preserve his immortality. So today's the day. He's in his bed in his yellow pajamas and he's surrounded by a bunch of guards and they do not want Loki in there. Because unlike Odin, who has to do a you know, challenge of the gods to determine if Loki's a liar. These guys know Loki's a liar, and they don't believe a word he says, even though for once he's telling the freaking truth. He tells them all that, you know, Thor's down there fighting the Destroyer, and he's losing, and he needs Odin's help, and they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, and they throw him in jail. Meanwhile, we cut back to the fight. It's still not going well, but Thor does get his hammer back, but when he lifts it up, the Destroyer shoots laser beams out of his fingers and actually uh, uh, slices the hammer mallet in two. Really not good. So then Thor's like, well, I have these stones. I could try that. So he uses one of them to levitate around and try and, you know, not get hit. But ultimately, he ends up landing on the floor. The destroyer uses his laser beam to, like, turn the floor liquid. And then as Thor sinks into it, he turns it into, like, diamond hard, you know, molecular material. So now Thor is trapped in the floor. Meanwhile, Loki tries his best to get out of the cell designed by Odin. He tricks one of the guards to, like, open 
the cell door for him. But unfortunately, the other guard catches on and beats him up and chains him. And he's like, oh, my God, what have I done? I've ruined the world. Cut back to Thor. He's still stuck in the diamond floor. The destroyer starts shooting a laser. A uh, uh, What does he call it? He calls it elemental destructive power out of his hands. And slowly, all uh, you know, Zod from Man of Steel starts slowly moving it along the floor towards the helpless Thor, who may or may not die. At the end. I liked a lot of this issue. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really cool stuff here. It's fun. Um, I remember whenever I first saw the cover for this, I was doing Amazing Spider-Man Classics, and the Thor movie was on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And it was in one of those, you know, the house ads that we're seeing that we don't really mention, but it's just like, hey, this stuff's on sale for Marvel right now. You should go check it out. It was in one of those ads. And I remember mentioning that, hey, if, if you're interested in the Destroyer who's going to be in the Thor movie, go read Journey into Mystery 118. You know, I've never heard a Thor fan complain about the Thor movie because I don't really know a lot of Thor fans, like earnest Thor fans, you know. Mm-hmm. But I have to imagine, like, much like maybe the Mandarin in Iron Man uh, 2 – is it two? Yeah. Three. Three in Iron Man 3, not really being the Mandarin and it being kind of a big letdown if you're a huge Mandarin fan. Like, I can't imagine, like, being a Thor fan and Destroyer in the back of my mind is one of those just unstoppable Thor villains, only to have him be, like, kind of nothing in that movie, in a way. But, uh. Well, he's the big thing that Thor fought at the end where he got his god powers back. Yeah, but he fought him for three seconds and one. And I'm just thinking that should have been a two hour movie right there, you know? Yeah. But he was busy fighting Loki instead. Anyway, I just always wondered if that annoyed anybody, but I've never heard anybody be annoyed by it. No, I, I, no- I, I enjoyed that bit. In fact, yeah, me too. Um, I have no stake in it. Things I love best about Thor's look in the film is his helmet. Mm-hmm. And whenever he gets his deity back in that scene, mm-hmm. I, I felt like the one thing it was missing was him getting his helmet. Yeah. Like that would have just been, I mean, that was just like the one thing that was missing from that being the cream of the crop. That and uh, I wanted him to give a speech, but I didn't mind that he destroyed the destroyer in three seconds. But he needed to, <laughs> he needed to give a speech. How dare you treat my friend so shamefully? Speech or something like that, and then killed it. And Jane Foster is staring, and she says, "Oh, oh my, my god. god, is this how you normally look? It's a good look." Um, yeah, fun. I like that it was directly continued. We get to see uh, Kim put away safely. Not that it mattered too much, but still yeah, kind of cool. We leave that plot behind pretty quickly for a mm-hmm. tangential connection. Yeah, but it was neat. I liked the connectivity. Um, the uh, the destroyer is not a, a force; it is inhabited by somebody. Right. So that's maybe the one thing about the story where I was like, "Hmm." I just like you know, Odin put that guy there, and it won't function unless a human transfers its consciousness to it, and its sole purpose is to fight whatever it sees first. It's like, Odin, what was this for? I don't really know that part. That part seemed a little hokey. But Did it say that it fight, fights whatever it sees first? Um, I thought it said that. Maybe it did. I just remember. Because I remember the whole, like, it was a, it was a last-ditch defense, defense for, for the Earth. And I kind of felt like the Avengers line, the you know, to fight any threat that no single hero could withstand. Yeah. Or something like that. I forget exactly how it goes. Yeah, but in which case, why fight Thor then? Unless it's because he sees him first. I don't know. But this guy is also a jerk. Yeah, I figure he's fighting Thor because he's a jerk. Yeah, that could and be. And Loki's kind of controlling him a little bit. That's true, yeah. You know, jerks, they fight Thor. That's what it's happens. It's like, you know he's a jerk because, like, the greatest prize of all for any hunter can't be Thor. That's, like, illegal and weird. Yeah. Yeah. But did you notice the Destroyer picks up the hammer? Yes, I did. That was a big deal. And also destroys the hammer. And also destroys the hammer. So, again, we have not had a single hint of the whole only worthy people can pick up the hammer. It is just a strength thing. thing With some maybe some magic attached to it. But we don't know that it's a worthy thing yet. And if so, then I guess the destroyer is worthy. Now, wait a minute. We did have multiple stories of Thor trying to prove his worth to lift the hammer. Young Thor. But was that... Just him trying to get buffer, or was that him trying to be magically worthy? I thought it was him just getting strong. Yeah, getting strong enough. Yeah, that's that might be what they meant. Maybe I read into it. Oh, no, I need to go back and relook at those t- tales. Because here he does say, like, the destroyer can lift Thor's hammer, for Odin has made him all powerful. So again, that could be. Does that mean all powerful? Like 
he's worthy to lift it, or does that mean all powerful like he's strong enough to lift it? If it's a strength thing, how come Thor? How come Hulk can't lift it? You know, Hulk's not strong enough. Yeah, Thor is strongest, Thor is strongest Avenger. Yeah, Thor strongest. Hulk Avenger. Hulk only takes down Thor if if he like gets the jump on him. Yeah, Hulk will punch Thor yeah. across the room if Thor is not looking. Well, they definitely haven't. If if they're into the worthy thing, and I think you're right, I think they're not into the worthy thing because if they were, they'd really be playing that up more. That'd be something mm-hmm. talked about all the time, and it never is. So it's probably just a strength thing. At this point, anyway. But, you know, put put the hammer in an elevator. Elevator goes up. Elevator's not worthy. This thing's a robot. You could also just say that. Oh. But there is a human consciousness in it. So does that factor into the worthiness? You know, I would I'm think talking about would. retcons someday. Yeah, with the retcon point of view. I would think the human consciousness would be an important element. But you're right. The human consciousness is just controlling a device. And we've seen that happen. We've seen oh, um, yeah. like Cobra use a, a lifting mallet to, to yeah, lift the hammer. That's right. So the human element might not actually play into it because they're just controlling the device. Mm-hmm. Oh. And the Vision has a soul. So don't you think that would factor into whether he could lift it or says not? That there's he a literally soul. literally has a soul on his forehead that you can rip off. So <laughs> Don't rip off the vision soul, please. <laughs> He's using that. Yeah. Not anymore. Not anymore. Um, Odin has pajamas. First first he had a robe, now he has pajamas. I just think that's adorable. Yeah. And he was um in his bath in that other issue. Now he's <laughs> now taking his snooze. Now he's so this is like I mean, I'm not saying that they read this and then made the Thor movie, but like there's a lot of elements to this comic that are from that first movie, like him fighting the destroyer while Odin is sleeping, mm-hmm. Loki being responsible for it. Like, yeah, that's kind of the plot. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of this feeding into that. And, I mean, the Odin sleep is in that comes up every now and then because it's something he does cyclically. He has to mm-hmm. go back and do that again every now and then. Mm-hmm. So this isn't the only time we're going to see it. It's a, it's a, it is a recurring concept in Thor, yeah. but yeah. Whenever it's convenient for him not to be around or inconvenient for him not to be around. Right, right. Like Peter Parker gets a, 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 the flu whenever he's about to go into a big fight. Mm-hmm. Um, His hammer's yeah, broken, really s- and there's no resolve so far. And I don't remember how it resolves. Like, I have no clue how he gets his hammer fixed. Now, he's still... I assume he does. I assume he... Yeah, he puts it in his belt, so that I guess it's still working enchantment-wise, because he doesn't turn to Don Blake, unless that's what's how he's going to get out of this next issue. Maybe I predicted it, but... Oh. But it's yeah, still... about the fact that he'd have to transform. It's still working, because... The magic is, yeah. It's been hasn't been it's been more than sixty seconds. It has to be. Anyway. Interesting. Uh I don't know what Loki's plan exactly is. Like, is he just gonna like try and manipulate the facts and say, like, this is just happening, but I had nothing to do with it. You should stop it. I don't know. I think he was just hoping that like Odin could fix it because Odin's all powerful and he'd be mm-hmm. like, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean for this to happen. I'm gonna lie somehow. And Odin's like, You cannot trick me, but sure looks like that's what you said. So uh <laughs> We'll have another contest. Yeah. We will have a contest to see if you are lying about the contest we see if you are lying about. I don't know. Fun fight. Cool issue. Thor has never been this um, out-muscled out before, so that's fun and scary, and we'll see what happens. Yep. I guess he's going to die, mm. probably. Probably everyone's going to die. Mm-hmm. Should we move on to the next part? I'm ready. Okay. Tales of Asgard, home of the Mighty Norse Gods, called The Crimson Hand. Story by Stan Lee, the legend teller. Art by Jack Kirby, the legend maker. Inking by Vince Coletta, the legend portrayer. Lettering by Sam Rosen, the letterer. (laughs) Um, Thor is hanging out. As you recall, last issue, um, there's this big giant Odin sword thing, and it's been cracked or cracking, and so Odin is sending Loki and Thor to find out why. They're going to beyond Asgard, the unknown, whatever that is. But before they do that, Thor makes a pit stop to this old man's uh, science-y Asgardian laboratory. His name is Morduk, and Morduk gives him uh, some maps and stuff, but then he's also like, hey, you might want to take this cool giant Kirby pink hand glove thing. He's like, why? What does this do? He's like, well... If you shake somebody's hand with it, they're compelled to tell you the truth. And just as he's explaining that, Loki comes in, and he's like, Hey, brother, I found this guy. His name's Braggy. He's going to, uh, you know, sail our vessel for us. <laughs> I'm, he's totally on the up and up. And Thor's like, Oh, nice to meet you, and holds out his pink-gloved hand. 
and he shakes it, and the guy's like, "I'm here to kill you. As soon as you're not expecting it, I'm gonna shoot you. I'm gonna slay you while you're not looking." <laughs> He's like, "Wait, why did I say that?" And Thor's like, "Ha ha! I caught you." And then they get into a fight, but of course the guy is no match for Thor, and Thor breaks his helmet and punches him and says, "You're so lame and unpowerful. I'm not even gonna kill you. Be gone!" And kicks him in the butt. And Loki's like, "Boy, I'm really glad you outed him. I had no idea he was a bad guy." And Thor's like, it's okay, brother. Let's shake on it because we're friends. <laughs> but Loki recognizes the uh, crimson hand and he's like, uh, you know, I don't have time for handshaking right now. Catch you later. And Thor's like, ooh, he's too wily, but I can't, I can't turn a blind eye to him because I'm not sure I quite trust him. And then it cuts to them on the big, giant, fabled Asgardian Lord Odin's own ship with some dude blowing a real big Asgardian horn and starting them on their mission. And that's the end. It is in fact the end. Yep. Well, it's the beginning, the end of the beginning or right. Cause it's, the, it's a multi-part story. Yeah. So what do you think? That thoughts? was fun. That what was cool. On this? I thought yeah. it was funny. I liked it. Enjoyable. I mean, these are really short stories. One, two, three, four, for five whole pages, it's kind of hard to tell anything truly epic, but I do enjoy this continued plot so far, this whole broken sword thing. It's fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on this particular chapter, except that um, I feel like that boat is the same boat that like Thor got before, like the Sklit Vladnir or whatever it's called. Well, it's Odin's uh, own not- ship, so is that the same ship? Yeah, here it says it's Odin's ship, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's the same one. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like the hand. I almost hope I hope they keep using it. But if it was just for this one story, that's kind of a one off. But it was cool. Reminds me of um, the lasso. What of is it? Prester John or whatever the guy who has like the red armor on his head. I feel like that should be one of his gauntlets. It reminded me of Wonder Woman, and they're both like you know mythological characters. So oh yeah yep. Yeah. But he does it with a manly handshake instead of bondage. <laughs> I did not look up any of these characters to see if they exist in um, other Thor stories. Uh, they do both exist in like other st- other you know comic stories. Bragi comes back in a Marvel fanfare issue, okay, and Mordek comes back in a Marvel graphic novel. But those are both the only other stories that feature these guys. Okay. And Brody so, and Braddy or Brody or whatever, he wasn't one of the ones that like Loki arranged to be one of his supporters, right? That was those no, were different people. No, that we've seen. No, yeah, okay, that would have been interesting, but to bring back one of those, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, so Thor grasps the guy's hand. The guy's like, "Yeah, I'm really gonna kill you," and mm-hmm. I, I guess I can't do it later. I'm gonna do it now. And whenever yeah. he punches, whenever Thor punches off his helmet, he looks like the executioner. He does, but that's just probably standard Kirby ugly thug guy look or something. Mm-hmm. But Loki recognizes the glove is like, I'm not going to shake hands with you. We can shake hands later. I'm going to go now. Uh-huh. That's not guilty or anything. Nope. I don't have time to shake hands because that takes too long. But um, but yeah, this is continuing on into our ongoing Thor saga that's going to last for quite a while in these tales of Asgard. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. It's really good setup. To say about it. Oh, you know, you know who probably does have to say about it? Uh, I think I do, yeah. Our Asgardian advisor, mm-hmm. the uh, the podcasting machine, Gene Hendricks, uh, he has written in to say, as a continuation of last time, this still isn't a Norse tale, but it does raise a very interesting point. You see, back in the olden days, the glove that Thor wears would have been very useful as a lie detector, but it probably wouldn't have been used. That's because the phrase, my word is my bond, was literally true, as nothing was written down. So an oath was considered to be sacred, and breaking a sworn oath was practically unthinkable. Mm. Hence why Niflheim, the realm of the dishonored dead, is reserved for murderers and oath breakers. The idea of having a dragon feasting on your innards for all eternity tends to keep people in line. Along the same lines, the questioning of someone's word was a grave insult, so even thinking of creating the Crimson Hand would be outside of the realm of possibility. Those of religious persuasion still hold oaths to be sacred, which is why we don't enter into them lightly. If one of my ilk were presented with that glove, you can bet we would hold it as a huge insult to our personal honor and probably never deal with that person again. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that kind of goes back to the man, the man of tomorrow or whatever, where we were like, 
complaining that Thor is being a little too rigid with that guy trying to kill the world. Mm-hmm. So there you go. They were just rigid. You know, it's interesting when I read stories set in like, you know, older cultures where lying is actually strongly reviled and the idea that somebody would even say an untruth is like, oh my gosh, how how do you even do that? How are you that person? Do you think that's just what they write down as like the ideal of man, but everybody was still lying? Or do you think people actually didn't lie? Um, you know, the Bible says thou shall not lie, but we all lie anyway. Yeah, I think it's probably one of those things that like, Humans are always humans, right? So you're always going to yeah. have your few that like really hold true to stuff. Uh-huh. But a lot of people probably just go through the motions of holding true to stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Lie I don't want to be presumptuous. But lie about being truth tellers? Yeah. Okay. Well, so another that is not that story. true story. I think none of these stories are going to be true stories anymore. But Yeah. But um, as long as Gene Hendricks finds stuff to say about them, we will Absolutely. continue to welcome his input. For sure. And... I think it, are those our three comics? <laughs> That's it. We did it. Da da da. Um, well, want to know what our next three comics are? I assume we're doing three more next week. We are. We're going to do Tales to Astonish, where much like this episode, we get a new series with Submariner. Dun dun. dun. And the Hulk continues to do Hulk things. We're going to have Sergeant Fury fighting a Blitz Squad, I guess. I haven't read it. And Tales of Suspense 68, where we have the third part of Cap being under the Red Skull's spell, and something is making Iron Man very, very mad. But I don't know what, because I haven't read that one either. Oh. But those are the three. All right. And um, we always appreciate you following us on Twitter, at MakeOursMarvel, retweeting episodes, sharing them in your circles of friends. We always appreciate and uh, we are doing our feedback episodes on a more regular basis. So do please send us your thoughts on these episodes, any continuity points you're aware of, anything that you found particularly funny or insightful, or if you just have a real bone to pick with one of us <laughs> like Mike, yeah, um, you, you could you could do that and write write that in. Yeah, you could take uh, we me always on. Appreciate reviews, star ratings, all those good things are always welcome. And if they wanted to write us in. Mike, would they have to send like a carrier pigeon or what? That'd be interesting if they did that. But since we've never given our address, that'd be hard. Uh, but our virtual address is makearsmarvel.com, where you'll find links to all the social medias, which at this point is now just Facebook and Twitter, um, basically just Twitter. And uh, we also have links to all the streaming services that we are hopefully listed on. Also, just type Make Ours Marvel in your favorite podcast app. That's probably faster and easier. Hit subscribe. Do a review. All fun stuff like that. You know, you got a whole Thanksgiving vacation coming up. you got plenty of time to do these things. Um, but, yeah, if you want to write to us, there is a contact form at MakeOursMarvel.com. Or you can write directly to podcast at MakeOursMarvel.com. I'm on Twitter at John Reads Comics. My other podcasts are All the Pouches and Image Comics Podcast, where I'm doing a journey through the early years of Image, much like this, but 30 years later. And that is at All the Pouches on Twitter. I'm also talking about Transformers comics and cartoons, often with my son along for the ride for the cartoon episodes at TFUK Podcast on Twitter or TFUKPodcast.com. Um, I'm also setting up to start re-releasing a lot of my old podcasts over at johnreadscomics.com. So I finally got copies of all those old episodes. Be on the lookout for that in the near future. Um, and I guess that is our episode. Mm-hmm. So until the Destroyer becomes the Herald of Galactus. Make ours Marvel. Marvel.